And welcome to another episode of the Two Fans Podcast. I'm your co-host, Joshua Ament. And I'm your other co-host, Ari Jesselson. And it is another Monday. I, uh, no, go ahead. No, I'm just waiting for you to say the line. I mean, okay, it's, it's another Monday. And I, I honestly, I will say I've kind of, honestly kind of started to look forward to these a little bit because we got ourselves another Monday recap. Oh, I wait for that every day, every week. Highlight of the week. So we got a lot of great stories in this past week that we're going to cover with you guys. So Josh, what would you like to talk about first? Um, yeah, this is, I guess, a little bit of a, a little bit of a break from uh, uh, from most most weeks, where you have like two or three like big, absolute must talk about headline stories. And of course, there are still there are still the headlines, and there are still things that people are going to talk about, but uh, they aren't as big, but they still are big. Uh, so let's start with uh, something that happened. I believe this was, uh, this was Thursday, if I'm not mistaken. If it's what I think we're talking about, then it was Thursday. Okay, so. then that, okay. I hope you, you mean uh, the trade that sent Carson Wentz uh, to, the Indian, to the Indianapolis Colts. We're on the same page here. We are on the same page, and that was Thursday. Okay, great. So if you if you missed it, uh, the the Eagles traded uh, their former number two overall pick Carson Wentz uh, to the Colts in exchange for a 2021 third rounder and a conditional 2022 uh, second round pick, which could be a first if certain requirements are met. So let's we're going to dissect it a little bit, but the Colts won. Let's be honest with that. The Colts won. Absolutely. I think not just the Colts won, but Carson Wentz won. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, just let's get – no, okay, sorry. I, I shouldn't be interrupting you this early. No, it's all good. I usually do this all the time. It's a nice change. All right, of yeah, because we, we always talk about when we trade, oh, the two sides of the coin. But let's talk about the, the people actually involved in it. Um, for Carson Wentz, like – I will like, of course, we all we've all probably heard the story, and I think I think he get he gets way too bad a rep. Uh, so let me let me give you that story again, uh, but with a lot more context. First of all, of course, yes, traded up, uh, number two overall pick uh, by the Eagles, uh, as Goff and Wentz were that number one uh, and number two in that draft. Both get traded uh, this offseason. season. Uh, very interesting, but. Of course, uh, of course, rookie seasons are, are rookie seasons, but his second season in 2017 started off incredibly. Uh, played the first 13 games, went 11 and two uh, with the Eagles, uh, 78.2 total QBR. That's not the that's the one that's rated one through 100. Uh, that ranked number one in the league by far. Uh, again, he only played 13 games, but he had 33 touchdowns. That ranked second in the league, just one behind Russell Wilson, who led. Um, a 7.5% uh, touchdown rate, uh, also ranked number one, uh, 1.6% interception rate uh, that ranked uh, eighth best. And again, that was only in 13 games. And before that, before that uh, horrible injury, uh, he was he was right up there with Tom Brady, probably ahead of him uh, in the MVP conversation. Yeah, and I remember everyone saying, it's either going to be Brady or it's going to be Wentz, and the latter going to Wentz to be MVP. Obviously, he did have that injury. Nick Foles came in, 
and we had that amazing Super Bowl. And I'm not going to get, we don't have to go into so much of what happened to Carson afterwards, but that 2017 season really shows you how great he could be. And everyone's going to, and we all speculate what would have happened if he stayed, uh, if he wasn't injured. A big part that's going to help Carson in the coach system is Frank Wright, who is the Colts head coach. He was the Eagles offensive coordinator during that 2017 season where Carson Wentz was supposed to be an MVP. So now that he's teaming back with his former offensive coordinator, someone who knows how to work with him and knows how to expose the true Carson, the best Carson he can be, it's going to work for them. And Colts obviously have a better line and better weapons than the Eagles have and will ever have, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Like people, people really, and and I'll I'll say this a lot, but people really uh, don't take into account just how much coaching has uh, has an impact on it. You saw what happened with Carson Wentz with uh, with Frank Reich uh, had that incredible season without him, uh, and granted, of course, a couple of other factors. Uh, and to mention, of course, the past two years, Eagles receivers uh, have not been able to stay on the field a lot. Uh, and I mean that, that, of course, is a is a part of the reason why, since 2017, or I mean 2018, he, he was sort of still recovering from from that injury a little bit. Um, but uh, the past few years, 2019, 2020, uh, he's been healthy, but the rest of his team hasn't really been. And so and so you 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 saw you saw him him and the and the offense around him start to regress. Of course, Wentz, uh, like many quarterbacks, uh, taken number two overall and put in a bad situation. Uh, no, I'm not saying this just because I'm a Bears fan. Why do you ask? Uh, he's thrown under the bus and told to go somewhere else. And I think, again, the best spot for Wentz is absolutely in Indianapolis. Uh, reuniting with, uh, with Frank Reich. Of course, you mentioned that that offensive line ranked number seven this year uh, by PFF uh, with some key injuries at, at tackle. Um, the run game uh, with the with that that whole committee of uh, Jonathan Taylor, Naeem Hines, Marlon Mack, uh, even like being led by a rookie in Jonathan Taylor, uh, their run EPC rank uh, ranked number sixteen in the league. That's only going to get better, uh, of course, with a strong line and with development from Taylor. Uh, and of course, the defense also ranked eleventh uh, in EPC. So you really have a whole lot of pieces uh, with the with the Colts that that Wentz can be can be put in there, uh, and you can win. And that's not to mention, Colts are the youngest team in the NFL, and they have forty six million dollars to spend in in cap space this free agency. Yeah, the Colts are set up to for our Super Bowl push. I know we keep talking about. And everyone else keeps talking that the Colts are QB away from the Super Bowl. They didn't need one more QB. They need someone who's reliable in QB, someone's consistent. And the Colts finally have that guy on top of the $46 million in cap space. This is the time for the Colts to make that push. And this is the time they will with Carson Wentz taking the snaps. And, and absolutely. And, let's, and just going back to Wentz a little, uh, a little bit, because, of course, it's, let's not as much as as much as I, I want to focus on, on that on that 2017 season because it, it was it was really great and Nick Foles would not have gotten to the Super Bowl without it um, but let, but of course in, in a wrong situation or maybe possibly just the injuries taking his toll on Wentz that he there is noticeable regression 
and that this is going to be a test for Wentz to see can he still be the guy he was in 2017? If he can't hear, then I don't think he can anywhere. And I will make I will make the prediction that Carson Wentz within the next two years will either be in an AFC championship game or out of the league. Of course, the of course we'll we'll talk about that downside. But if he's in that AFC championship game, if if the Colts can can figure can figure it all out, they are right up there with the they're right up there with the Chiefs. They are right up there with the Bills uh, in that new age AFC contention. Oh yeah, and it's off to Carson to really take his spot on the throne, really give the torch to himself. Obviously, the system is built is going to be built for Carson, and a lot of it, without even taking a snap with the Colts yet, is already fit for him. It's all for him to step up and to show us he could be the guy who he is. Obviously, with injuries, and he's 28, making him a little bit of an older quarterback in most people's eyes. He definitely has somewhat of an uphill battle, but it's all up to Carson to see what he could do, and he just has to step on the field. Absolutely, of course. Um, so that's that's one of the one of the headlines. I think the other one uh, we could talk about right up there. Um, oh wait, no. Let's cut that out or not. Your your call. Uh, let's not cut it out. So you okay? Because um, we looked at this from from Wentz and the Colts' perspective, but uh, um, let's talk about the Eagles. Um, I got four or five words. Ha, 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 ha. And that's it. I mean, that, that, with yeah, the dead, not the dead much... cap space, the receivers bleeding, Jalen uh, Hurts obviously being a younger quarterback, getting going to his sophomore year, you're really, it's going to be harder. It's possible to build around him. It's just going to be harder. And have we seen, and has, that we've seen with the Eagles in the past. I don't know. It's just going to – it doesn't look like a, a great system right now. They're definitely going to be in a rebuild, obviously, but it seems like they've been in a rebuild for so long. I mean, yeah, the one thing that this does for the Eagles, uh, that, that it does well, is that it solidifies Jalen Hurts as the guy, uh, which, is, which is definitely better than having uh, – a maybe the guy, and then also maybe the guy. Again, Bears fan, I know how that works. It doesn't. Um, but when but when Howie Roseman is, is here talking about how, how he's expecting a, a Stafford-like deal, and the only concrete thing you get out of it is a third-round pick, it, well, what are you doing? You're taking a page out of Bill O'Brien's book. That's what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I can the the most I can do for Eagles fans is, is sympathize and say again, at least you're not the worst uh, front office in the league. At least you're not the Texans, and that is my motto. Texans fans, I'm sorry, but you know it's true. But the Eagles, it's definitely going to be interesting to see what's going to happen with them. Obviously, they are one of the most. They are in a really weak division with the AFC, the NFC East. But if the pieces fit together, they're going to have to have to make it sooner or later. Especially with up line and a receiving, just one or two receivers. 
Yeah, so it certainly looks looks uh, looks tough for them, but of course, you never know how how, how teams can can turn around in, in just a couple of years. Um, let me move on now to what I what I had uh, almost moved on to uh, into the baseball world, uh, where Fernando Tatis Jr. signed a fourteen year, three hundred and forty million dollar extension with the San Diego Padres. That's a whole lot of money. And yeah, he, he I, I don't know how I feel about that because I feel like he deserves the money. He's a great player, but he's still a young guy. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, de- uh, definitely, of course. Like the anytime anyone signs such a, such a big deal, my mind immediately goes to, okay, how can that backfire? And with Tatis, when I, I think he's only played what? Two years. Yeah. Okay. Two. Yeah. Two years. One of them, of course, a shortened year. Uh, and I doubt that he played the full season uh, in 2019. I may be wrong on that. He played a total of 143 games in two years. Okay. So he hasn't technically played a, a full season yet. And well, of course, like I'm, I'm not going to don't try to twist this as uh, as I'm a Tatis hater because from what like from what we've seen from him he's absolutely justified himself as the face of baseball not the not the greatest player in baseball that's Mike Trout no questions asked uh but but the face of baseball um as far as uh one thing that kind of that kind of struck me as a little odd uh is the is the average uh, annual value AAV of, of the deal uh, which is only 22.4 uh excuse me 24.2 million uh which is right now only ranked uh ranked 22nd in the league of course with the with the with the 14 years in terms of total value uh that's number third uh number three uh right behind uh right behind uh, Mookie Betts and Mike Trout uh but but only paying like a little bit more than uh, a little bit more than twenty four million a year for, if you have for what what could easily be one of the best players uh, of the of the twenty twenties, uh, will certainly will certainly help the Padres out a lot. Again, if he stay if he stays on the on the right track, the Padres are, are absolutely a great situation. Of course, you with with him with uh, with Machado with the. Uh, uh, with Snell and Darvish, with like, I mean, that whole team. Um, I will say, if there's if there's one thing that's making you realize, it is give me all of the Dodgers Padres. Just all of that, I will consume. Yeah, and I said before, California is going to look interesting. Obviously, he definitely deserves some money, and only time will tell to see what happens. I just want a great, a uh, a really great fact. And you can't attack me for this because I'm a Mets fan. But the last year of his contract, the Mets will make the final payment on Bobby Bonilla's contract in the year 2035. Yeah, that's kind of all I had to yeah. say. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say, because I kind of, sort of looking at this deal, I kind of want to look a little bit at uh, what the future of mega deals in the MLB can look like. Because, of course, he saw like the past few years uh, with Harper, Machado, Trout, Betts. Uh, now Tatis are just like just teams are going are going all in on them, 
And what does this mean like right now? And what, what could this mean for uh, big stars uh, with upcoming deals like Juan Soto, like Eloy Jimenez uh, that are probably going to want to get paid uh, nearly the same amount? Uh, of course, I, I mentioned the, the AAV uh, was a little bit down for Tatis's deal. And part of that could be sort of because of the, uh, just because of the pandemic, because teams uh, don't, may not want to give the, the Trout 420 something million uh, that, that much. When of course they, they still are, are, are very much uh, complaining about, about, uh, about losses. Um, and it's very possible. And like, of course, you have you have started to see a trend. Of course, when it's first been sort of like eight year, uh, five year deals, then eight year deals, and now you you have you have like you have Trout locked up for twelve years, you have Harper for thirteen, and Tatis uh, fourteen, which I believe uh, would be the longest, uh, at least active. Uh, don't know how it worked back in the back in the fifties or anything. Uh, so it's very possible that teams are are really starting starting to value uh, value length and stability uh, to sec to over the average annual value. That's something uh, players are probably going to have to uh, adapt to, and this may be in direct response to the whole sort of Trevor Bauer philosophy of one year deal. So teams are going to spend more, so you make more uh, each year. Uh, but I digress and. I will say again, I mentioned uh, Tatis is the third highest uh, a contract now. Uh, it's 20, he's uh, it's 340 million. That's 25 million behind bets. Uh, and it's 80 million, uh, 80 plus million, I, sh- I should say, less than, uh, less than Mike Trout's deal. So, of course, like after you, you pay the, be- you, the best player in baseball, and he's not going to get another contract for a while, are these deals sort of tr- starting? to level out and again like five seven years down the road when when of course there's going to be a uh there's going to be a little more a little more inflation will guys like uh guys like uh, guys like Juan Soto guys like Eloy Jimenez will they kind of be underpaid a little bit I mean being paid 300 million dollars for 14 years everyone's going to want that contract especially if people are going to say, oh, I've been here longer and I've been producing the same numbers as him, where's my $300 million kind of making this to a competition in a way. Everyone wants to get paid and are there, there are players who deserve to get paid. We're seeing how it's less of a, it's less of a team wanting and it's more of a player from the organization. But the thing is, do these contracts really work in the long run also? I mean, sports are unpredictable. Anyone could get hurt at any time. Anyone could lose that, that drive at any moment. So when we look at a a $14 million deal, how much of that 14, 14 year deal, how many years of that is, is the guy getting Venus prime? That's why I think the Bauer thing works great because it's one year deals and he still gets the money. Yeah, of course there is a, there is a lot more, a lot more risk in the, in the one year deal of if you have a down year and your stock's going to plummet and you don't have another, Oh, I'll still get $20 million next year uh, to bank on. Yeah, but it's. I think that one-year deals is better than than those long deals of maybe seven, even fourteen years. I think the perfect because if they want to get paid that much, 
taking shorter contracts while still getting the money works better for the player, for his stocks also. But I get for him, you're set up for those 14 years no matter what, which works in his perfect, which works for him, but also makes the argument how much of that prime is he going to be in those 14 Yeah, really, it really all comes down to, uh, to the perspective uh, of it. But um, uh, one thing I think, I think we, we can agree on as far as like, I know I, I've uh, said my complaints about, uh, about MLB and the big spender and how there really probably should be some sort of salary cap. Because come on, like you, 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 see, you see the Pirates and, and, and Cleveland uh, and, the, and these low payroll teams that just aren't going to compete with, with them. And, and it doesn't seem like, like the parity is going to come back anytime soon uh, with a deal like this. Yeah, no, a cap, a cap limit, cap space has to be created soon. Obviously, we're seeing these big contracts, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be created probably later, but it should be something that is established. Sticking on to the baseball subject, unless there's anything more you'd like to say. Now, go ahead. Yeah, so speaking more of the baseball side uh, about baseballs, I'm just gonna do like a quick lightning round of some some major stories of some of of some of the guys we might know as kids, some guys who haven't been in the spotlight so long, not your Derek Jeters, but more of your Matt Harvey's, if that makes sense. So just a quick lightning round. Uh, Braves signed 33 year old second baseman Jason Kipnis to a minor league deal. He was the obviously he was the Indian second baseman, 10 year vet, two time All Star, not the same guys before. Athletics signed 38-year-old former Giants pitcher Sergio Romo to a one-year $2.25 million deal. He's a one-time All-Star, three-time World Series champion. Uh, Yankees signed 34-year-old outfielder Jay Bruce to a minor league deal, 13 years, 13 year career with the Mets and the Reds. He's a three-time All-Star, two-time silver glove. I'm sorry, uh, I, or- sorry, sorry for cutting you off. I just like that was honestly news to me. Like I didn't even realize uh, Jay, Bruce, Jay Bruce was still around, but hey, good for him. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I want to do these stories, you know, because I want that oh wow factor and I want you to jump in if there's any great stories or any great guys. Speaking of Matt Harvey, Orioles signed him, the 31-year-old pro, to a minor league deal. Obviously, he's an eight-year vet, one-time all-star, notable for the Mets, and it's just sad to see how injuries derailed his career. And I would compare him to the RG3 of baseball, some guy with high potential who could be great, but injuries just derailed his career. Or maybe even. Yeah. The Carson Wentz of baseball. There you go. Full circle. Uh, I know you definitely heard about this. And speaking of full circles, Cubs signed 34-year-old Jake Arrieta to a one-year $6 million deal. He's a Cy Young, a one-time All-Star, a Silver Slugger, and a World Series champ. And I think it's funny. Yeah. Of course, he's he's not the same guy that he was. But at the same time, uh, with the way that that Ricketts and, and Jed Hoyer have completely just gotten rid of the rotation... Uh, he'll probably be, be our, our, our number two guy behind Hendricks. But. And, yeah, and speaking of coming to a fourth circle, uh, they replaced Jake Arietta with Yu Darvish, and they now replaced Yu Darvish with Eric, Jake Arietta. So kind of a full circle there. Uh, Angels signed 36-year-old outfielder John Jay to a minor league deal. Obviously, he's an 11-year vet, uh, vet best known for his time in the Cardinals. Um, Brian's 33 year old uh, second baseman Brian Dozier retires from the MLB. He's a nine year vet, best known for his time in the Twins. 
Speaking of tiring, Tim Tebow is retiring for the minors. He's done for baseball. He never made a pro team. He's just been the minors for a long time in 287 games. He had a batting average of 0.223, 18 home runs, 107 RBI, an OPS of 0.638, and 327 strikeouts. And my favorite story of the past signings and all that, Bartolo Colon, big sexy, signed a one-year team with signed a one-year deal with Acereros de Mon- Moncala in Mexico. And to quote one of my favorite philosophers, if you may I? Go ahead. <clears throat> Colon looking for his first hit of the year, and he drives one. Deep left, deep left field. Back goes Upton, back near the wall, and it's out of here. Bartolo has done it. The impossible has happened. Gary Cohen. Truer words have never been spoken. Can we get an amen? Put it, paid an amen in the chat. But just to stay on baseball, one final thing. Um, actually, one final thing that I would like you to please go around. David Ortiz, Red Sox de- legend was recently interviewed by Peter Abraham on the Boston Globe. And just to read the full quote for you, and I quote, the game has changed a lot. Coaches only want kids to hit home runs, and that's all they practice because they want to get paid. We used to want to develop great hitters. Now it's all strikeouts with some home runs, and it's straight up effing boring. If you could bet in Vegas that the next hitter was going to strike out, you take it every time. End of quote. Yeah, there's absolutely some a lot of a lot of truth to that. People, of course, like still like are are kind of at least the the purest uh, kind of are kind of just fed up with the sort of big three outcomes uh, of either a walk, a home run, uh, or a strikeout. And uh, there's absolutely a lot of, a lot of truth to what uh, to what Ortiz is saying. Definitely, and it feels like. It also kind of feels like a back-in-my-day scenario, but he does hold a lot of truth to what his words are. And I, it's honestly just true what he's saying. There's nothing for me to add more to that. And just one final story in baseball. Ian Desmond of the Rockies has announced on his Instagram that he will opt out of the 2021 season. Uh, he said, quote, Over the past few months, I've had tough conversations. I've asked a lot of questions and done a lot of thinking. For now, I've decided to opt out of the 2021 season. My desire to be with my family is greater than my desire to go back to and play baseball under these circumstances. I'm going to continue to train and watch how things unfold. Yeah, this, this is, is it. Yeah, this is yeah. a a very, very, very good reminder that we're still in a pandemic here. So, like, of course, like I I will get into this a little bit later. Uh, with, uh, with what seems to be a recurring Monday recap segment. Uh, don't worry, it'll end eventually. Um, but, just sort of, but just sort of, yeah, like it, we're, we're far from over the, over the hump now. I think. Yeah, the big thing is stay safe, wear your mask, and just remember we're still in pandemic, and it's not going to go away until we all do something about it. Yeah, speaking of the fact that we're still in a pandemic, um, one, one league or at least one event that uh, that uh, the people planning it sort of don't really seem to realize. As I've said a time before, and we'll say a time again, the NBA All-Star Game 
why is it still happening? Money, money, like, money, hey, money, money. Not an incorrect, uh, not an incorrect assessment. But, but man, so um, unfortunately, to my knowledge, Chris Paul has not uh, made any more more public uh, uh, statements on the All Star Game. However, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver uh, did on Thursday, and he says, and I quote, there were obviously those who thought that we shouldn't play without fans, thought we shouldn't play in the bubble, thought we shouldn't be playing in a very serious way because of the social justice issues roiling this country. So I certainly hear the other side of this issue here. And I'll lastly say it seems like no decisions during this pandemic come without uncertainty and come without risk. This is yet another one of them. And yet it's my job to balance all those interests. And ultimately, ultimately, it feels like it's the right thing to do to go forward. I have some problems with this. First of all, with trying to compare playing the All-Star game with playing in the bubble. Because they're not the same thing, no matter how you slice it. COVID in the past few months has been a lot worse across the country than it, has, uh, than it was uh, in the summer in July and August. Uh, players could also freely opt out of the bubble if they wanted. There really doesn't seem to be a way or a path to opt out of this All-Star game. And the bubble also was, in order to complete a season that had already started, the All-Star game is completely unnecessary to the season. Again, I'll say, I'll say it, at the start of the season, no one thought there was going to be an All-Star game. And we kind of just accepted that. Like we weren't so devastated that, oh no, we need an All-Star game because we really don't. Yeah, and if there was going to be one, I think we all just assumed that'll probably be on 2K. And there's really no need to have an All-Star game in, this, in these circumstances. Obviously the bubble and the playoffs are completely different, like you said, to a one-time All-Star game that no one really takes seriously. It's just a time for every, it was usually just a time for the players just to chill and relax and just play a game of basketball with their friends or just people in the league. There's no need for it. And if they were going to be an All-Star game, come on, just put on 2K, just do what Madden did. No one really cares for it, especially because the big people, reason people did watch the All-Star games, I would see is like the dunk contest and all those competitions. Without taking with taking out those, there's no point of the game. And there's no point of those anyway right now because there's no realistic way that they can make it work with the regular season. I say if you do want an All-Star game, push it back after the season ends. Make everyone quarantine after finals, and then you could do your competition there. But there's really no need to have it right now. Yeah, I'll say one more thing about, about, the, about the Adam Silver quote, and then I think uh... – I can just look, sort of look back at the at the end of the past couple of years, uh, but one thing Adam, uh, Adam Silver said uh, that kind of that kind of struck a struck a wrong chord with me was no decisions during this pandemic come without uncertainty and come without risk. I think one of the least risky things that you can do right now during a pandemic is to not play a game. Again, like. Uh, it's it's gotten like to the point where of course like usually you have like all star festivities both uh, both both silver and uh, and the mayor of Atlanta uh, have been constantly urging fans not to 
partake in any sort of festivities relating to the All-Star game, which if you, if you have to say it enough, really, really feels like it's, it's safer just to not do it. And just Definitely. another reminder that we're, that we're still in a pandemic. To this point, we've, we've been uh, 62 days in the NBA season. And how many games? 30 games have now, have now been postponed in some form due to COVID. Wait, actually, oh, no. I'm, I might be a little wrong on that. I think a couple of them were, were postponed because of the Texas power outages. Uh, but that, but that, is still, that is still one just about one game every other day being postponed because, because of COVID close contact. If that happens in the All-Star game, what are you going to do? Yeah, if you're going to, if something if there is an outbreak in the All-Star game, the only thing you can do is shut down the league. And that's definitely worse than playing a single fun game. Just a single game for fun and giggles, you know? There's no point of the All-Star game. Just put it on 2K. It solves it, solves, solves it like that. Yeah, I think uh, one thing that sort of now... I'm realizing we might have to do is just sort of, is just sort of take a step back at the NBA and sort of take off those rose colored glasses of, Oh, it's the NBA. It's Adam silver. It's uh, it's a league that listens to its players. And while yes, let's sort let's sort of look at this from a, from a bit more of a cynical angle. Um, let's start sort of with the, uh, with a couple of years ago, um, when of course the infamous uh, Daryl Morey China uh, Hong Kong dispute, Daryl Morey, uh, of course, tweeted uh, in support of Hong Kong uh, pro democracy protesters, and the NBA sort of just just sort of shunned him for it. Sort of had to had to say he doesn't represent us. Uh, More uh, Morey, I believe, uh, stepped down from uh, from his role. Uh, with the Rockets uh, about a year after. And sort of after that, the narrative, the sort of uh, Silver and the NBA have kind of tried to change it and say, oh no, now we're, we're, we're losing money uh, from China because we stood with Maury, even though they didn't. And that I feel like was kind of like sort of the first sign. And I think another, another, another big one here was sort of when uh, when when sort of in the bubble, uh, when the players sort of threatened to boycott the season uh, over a lack of response to the to the Jacob Blake shooting, uh, where they sort of where the league and the, and the players had to sort of negotiate, and all the all the the league owners really did uh, was uh, was use uh, the arenas they could uh, to help with the elections, which. I kind of thought after the first weave, they should have been doing already. So my guess is that this sort of the whole reason that we have the All-Star game this year is just another one of those deals with the players. Of course, a part of the, a part of the All-Star game this year uh, is, uh, is support for, uh, for HBCUs. About uh, 1,000 fans uh, are going to be at the game uh, representing HBCUs. Which, first of all, do they need to be at the game? Like, can you not? Can you bring the support without the game? It seems to me like it's it's just 
it's just negotiating pieces that this is something that the players uh, feel they have to concede. Hey, at the end of the day, we see this as the game we love, but they see this as a business. Because at the end of the day, it's a business to them. Just in any sport, just in any career, any fun thing that we see, video games, music, sports, entertainment, it's a business to them. They're not our friends. They're the people we get the money. We're the people who give them the money. So it's also our responsibility to take the actions. Because at the end of the day, our voices do make an impact for them. We make the change at the end of the day. They will take, they'll see our actions and have to cause a reaction. Yeah, and that's kind of, that's kind of what uh, uh, <laughs> kind of the same the same sort of point I was I was uh, going to try to make. Uh, where at the end of the day, we ha- we sort of have to stop uh, stop giving the credit uh, to the NBA and sort of give credit to the players who actually prompted the NBA uh, to make the changes they did in the first place. Exactly. Another interesting ish story that came out was. Uh, the NFL uh, is going to increase their salary cap to $180 million. Uh, before it was $175 million And I don't know what it really improves upon. I, I don't really see that as such a big thing for most teams. Kind of unnecessary, but I see there's a growing market in players who want to get paid. So obviously they're going to have to compute that with something. And it's really just... Just, just a story that's there. It did happen, and obviously, it just allows It's going to allow players to get paid more. For all we could see, we could see more than we could probably see something like baseball, where these players are getting more unrealistic amount of salaries. And I mean, I, I, I will say uh, that, of course, of course, with uh, with COVID, we all kind of knew the NFL wasn't uh, wasn't going to increase uh, their cap, and that it would probably go down. So it, it is still nice to see. Uh, that it's go- that is that it is going to be uh, bigger than what than what we thought it would be, uh, so that so that still pl- players are going to be able to get paid because once again we're still in a pandemic. Yeah, but this is a more down the line in the future, and it, I don't know. It just players are going to get paid. Players want to get paid, so this allows a lot of teams to open that board up. Um, let's move now to uh, to a sport we only we've only covered uh, we've only covered once uh, so far. Uh, let, let's uh, let's go to tennis. Uh, the Australian Open uh, just just finished uh, this this past weekend uh, in the women's bracket. Uh, Naomi Osaka won, defeating Serena Williams in the semifinals and Jen Brady in the finals. Uh, it's her fourth major, second uh, Australian Open, uh, all on all on hard courts. Two Australian Opens, two U.S. Opens. Uh, of course, she's only she's only twenty three. We're we're just starting to see uh, the best of her abilities. Uh, over over in the in the men's division, uh, Novak Djokovic uh, won his eighteenth major uh, and his his ninth Australian Open. Uh, so, but uh, but I think the the biggest story among among either is the guy that Novak Djokovic uh, beat in the semifinals. And if you told me a month ago I would be talking about Aslan Karatsev, I would have said Gazuntite. <laughs> but he's made a heck of a name for himself uh, this Australian Open. Uh, he's, uh, this time last year, he was ranked number 262 uh, in the world. 
262. Uh, he spent most of his, uh, he's uh, born in Russia, spent most of his youth in Israel, uh, moved back to Russia at 16. Uh, he's been on the, on the ATP tour uh, since 2013. Uh, done a lot of trading in Spain and Germany. Uh, and he just, uh, just this year uh, qualified for the Australian Open, uh, the first time he's ever qualified for a major and reached the semifinals. That's the first time uh, any, uh, yeah, it's the first time that anyone in the, uh, any man in the open era uh, has reached the semifinals in his first Grand Slam appearance. Also the first, uh, the first qualifier to reach the Grand Slam semifinals, uh, or to reach a semifinal at any point in the Grand Slam uh, since 2000. So along, along the way, he, uh, he beat uh, number eight seeded Diego Schwartzman, uh, number 20 seed uh, Felix Agar Aliasim, uh, and number 18 seed uh, Grigor Dimitrov. Uh, of course, until uh, losing to eventual champion Novak Djokovic in straight sets, uh, but now of course, uh, with new rank, uh, with new rankings coming out right uh, right after the uh, right after the tournament, uh, he is now ranked uh, number forty two, uh, which is a whopping seventy two places above where he was before the tournament. God damn, hard work just pay off. Great for him though, you know. And this is going to be great to see how his career goes. Definitely got a, a bright future ahead of him. Yeah, absolutely. It t- I mean, it, cer- it certainly took a while for, for him to, to break through. But, man, do, do we love us an underdog story? And, uh, and, and yeah, we're it's gonna, it's certainly, certainly going to be uh, hoping that, that that's sort of the starting, starting point for what he, what he can do from there. And with that, that's about as good a point as any uh, to end this episode off on. So thank you once again for listening to us and bearing with us. We do this every single day, uh, Monday through Thursdays. Uh, kind of took a little bit of an unannounced uh, hiatus last week. Uh, we do apologize with that. However, I do think uh, we can make it up to you with, uh, uh, with, uh, with our Jack Squirek interview. Uh, if you have not seen it, that should be up to YouTube uh, within this week. Uh, so with all that being said, uh, you can find all of our, all, all of our other podcasts uh, on Spotify, Anchor, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, until next time, we will talk to you then.